Everybody have a good Thanksgiving, I hope. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. I, honestly, of all the things that I'm thankful for, you are part of that. I'm thankful that we get to be in this church family together, like Scott said. I'm thankful that I got to meet so many of you this year. Thankful to be in this building. My gosh, this time last year, we were in the theater for some of you who were around for that. So, so many things that we have to be thankful to God for. And I bet you have some things that you've expressed thanks to God for during this service. Uh, you know, if you're here for the first time or you're newer and I haven't met you yet, I would love to talk with you. So just catch up with me after service and let, let's talk. So last fall, the third floor of the Cristo del Rey High School had a little bit of an emergency. The students started smelling a funky smell. The teachers started smelling this aroma. And it got to be so bad that some people were having difficulty breathing. It was really getting tough. To which, as I'm reading this news story, I'm thinking, it is a high school, right? Don't funky smells just go with the territory? Did the teachers check the backpacks of the, all the guys, first of all, for Axe body spray? <laughs> they make fun of the guys here for a little bit, but you know, you, every high school guy is like, shh, now I smell amazing. And all the girls are like, oh dear Axe, please put a serving size on that can because the guys are using too much. We'll just take a pause here. Since I'm making fun of the teenage boys, let's just go and make fun of all the boys. Anybody, any boy in here, were you an aqua velva man? Anybody uh, English leather or nothing at all? Some of you guys know what I just did there. How about uh, Old Spice? Polo? Chaps? Oh, Brett name it. Uh, Brute 33? Drakkar? Uh, it's CK Eternity? And we all wore too much. How many of you layered the colognes to get the maximum impact? All right, the ladies, you can, yeah, right. So, so back to Cristo del Rey High School, third floor. There's something smelly, and it's starting to get so bad. It was overpowering. People were not able to breathe. The principal came in. They evacuated the whole school. It was that bad. They called the hazmat team. The firefighters responded, evacuated the whole school. They went in. They sent five people to the hospital. It was serious. Then they gave the all clear, and the firemen came out with the offending object. On the third floor, someone had plugged in a pumpkin spice air freshener. And that was the source of the problem for everybody. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I get it. Pumpkin spice, too much. Uh, but that's, isn't it something, I was just thinking about how such small things can have such an inordinate impact on things, right? Just a little air freshener could send people to the hospital. And I was thinking about it in this series of prayer, when you think about prayer, it seems like such a small thing to have such an outsized impact. Some of you here listening to me right now, you believe that prayer literally changes things, and it's changed some things in your life. And you say, how can something that is literally no more than saying words in my head or maybe saying words out loud make something happen in the real world? It seems like an outsized response to what I'm doing, but that's what the Bible teaches. That's what a lot of us in our experience have come to realize, it's, and it's really not the actual act of praying that is so powerful. If, you can be skeptical about it if you want or not, but I'm telling you from somebody who does believe that prayer is powerful, I want to tell you why, because sometimes I hear from people and I think they're putting the credit on the wrong thing. Like they'll go, prayer is so amazing, just put the prayers out there. And I think I know what they mean, but sometimes I think, are, are you and I saying the same thing? I think prayer is powerful not because I get the right words in the right order, like hocus pocus, abracadabra. It's not the prayer itself. It's the person that I'm talking to when I'm praying. You know what I mean? Is that what you mean when you say prayer is powerful? Because that's where it comes in when such, such a small thing. It's, it's, you're talking to the literal creator of the entire universe. 
and you're inviting the most powerful and most good being in the universe to get involved in your situation when you pray. And that is why it is so powerful. And that's why we're talking about prayer. So here's the bottom line. If you've got one of the, you know, the worship folders when you came in, uh, you can take some notes on this. The bottom line, you can just write this down if you want. You can be confident when you pray because of what God is like. The power of prayer comes from the God who hears our prayers and responds to our prayers. Now, some of you, you can just leave right now. Go to QT or Starbucks. I got the whole sermon. I'm done. But I want us to do what we've been doing last week and what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks is to realize there's something to this prayer thing that's powerful, but we're not that good at it. So maybe we ought to learn from an expert about how to do it. So if you've got a Bible, if you would find Luke, we're going through the teachings of Jesus about prayer. And if you don't have a paper version of this, if you're looking at the Bible app, it's easy to find. If it is the paper version, feel free to use the table of contents. If you're newer to the Bible, there are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They write about the, the life and the teachings of Jesus, the miracles that he did. And these Gospels, Gospel literally means good news. It's the good news about Jesus. And each Gospel writer has a different perspective. Luke wasn't actually there for any of the things that happened in Jesus' life. He talked to the eyewitnesses who were. Some of these guys, Matthew and John, actually were there for the things that they wrote about. But we're going to look at Luke's Gospel. And he's going to tell us about some things that Jesus taught. So Luke chapter 11, it's the big 11, starting in verse 1. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, okay, well, here's how you should pray. And I'm going to stop there for a second. We'll come back to this. But I want to bring this out. Jesus is praying, and there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that made his closest students and apprentices go, wow, that guy can pray. Would you teach us to pray? You know, like John the Baptist taught his students to pray. And when, when you pray, you don't sound like all the other religious people that we hear praying. Their prayers are really fancy, and they look like they should get God's attention. But you, I'm just reading into this, but I think there's something about the way Jesus prayed that it was like he was actually talking to somebody, a real person. And they're, they, this is powerful. And Jesus would often do this. He would do things in a public way so his students could see that, so they could imitate that, so they could learn from it. So Jesus says, sure, I'll teach you to pray, because apparently we need to know how to pray. We need some help with this conversation. So he gives what we would call the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. Second part of verse two. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And some of you are going right now, uh, is there more? <laughs> this seems, and is that even a prayer? Because it seemed like normal words. There was no thee, thou, and thy. Uh, and then for some of you, you're listening to this and you're going, there seems like there should be more because you know there's the Lord's Prayer and maybe you memorized it or maybe you've even heard of it before or whatever. And you're going like, where's the, the part where he says, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil? Where is, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven? This is not the only time that Jesus taught on prayer. I know which one you're thinking of. The longer version of it, and we'll say this together at the end of the service, but that one is in a different gospel. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It was in the middle of a big sermon that Jesus was teaching to thousands of people. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, here's how you should pray. And he gave what we know as the longer version of the Lord's Prayer. This one, he's just praying in Luke 11. In this situation, he's just praying and the guys come to him. So obviously he taught on prayer more than once. 
Apparently, the disciples didn't take good enough notes during the Sermon on the Mount because they're asking him again, will you teach us to pray? And Jesus wasn't like, I already said this. <laughs> Why don't you guys get it? But he starts teaching. And um, here's what I love about this. When he starts off praying and he's teaching the disciples about this, uh, he's just very humble about it. I'll teach you how to talk to your father. If you want to write this down, it's not in your notes, but you can write this down. Prayer is simply a conversation between you and God about things you both care about. Did you not notice when you went through and listened to this prayer that it's things that we all care about? I want to eat today, God. I want to talk to you about that. God says, well, I want to make sure you eat today, so this is a good conversation. Um, God, I've done some really stupid, sinful things. I need to be forgiven. God says, well, I like giving mercy to people who who don't deserve it, so you're forgiven. God, I'm going to go through some really tough things today. I need some protection. God says, well, I want to protect. You see, you just talk to God about the normal things that you care about, and God cares about those things too. And, and the other thing I want to point out about this before we actually get into what we're going to really dive into today is it, it seems to me when Jesus is teaching about prayer, he says, don't get too focused on the prayer itself. You want to think more about the person you're talking to when you're praying. Like those of you who drive, do you pay a whole lot of attention to the windshield when you're driving? When I'm driving, my wife does, and I'm not going to throw you under the bus here, but my wife thinks I ought to use the wipers a whole lot more than I do. I don't know if it's a man thing, if it's just a me thing, but I want to see how few times I can use the wipers when it's raining. Uh, When there's bugs on it, I don't like to squirt the stuff on it because it just smears them everywhere. But she's like, you got to clean the windshield. I'm like, I'm not even looking at the windshield. I'm looking at what's ahead of me. And that's when you're driving, you really don't want to focus on your windshield because you'll be a horrible driver. You want to look at what's coming through the windshield. And the same way, Jesus says, if you focus on the prayer itself and you get all worked up about, am I saying the right words? Am I doing this right? You're focusing too much on the prayer and not enough on the person you're talking to. You don't have to get this religious language. You don't have to sound funny to do it. Don't worry about it. Just have the conversation. Now, as we get into it, if you want to write these things down, here's what I think we need to remember about the person we're talking to. Jesus says, first of all, when you pray, think about who you're talking to. You're talking to Father. Parents, you ever say this, or kids, your parents ever say this, you go, tell, go talk to your dad. It's what Jesus is saying here. When you start praying, you just acknowledge who you're talking to, Father. And when I say talk to Father and you say Dad, some of you are already like feeling, ooh, that feels a little disrespectful. Oh, father, at least in English, Father is so proper. I'd never call my dad Father ever. And so it feels like appropriate because God is God, so you should say Father. And Jesus is like, no, call him Dad. Nobody ever thought about God, by the way, that way until Jesus, and he's the one who invited us to say, Dad, to have this special relationship. You know, he's, Jesus is saying, God created you, and if you become a part of Jesus' family, God will redeem you, and he will adopt you into your family, and he gives you the right to call him Father. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. And if there's something in you that says, I don't know if this is right, you need to do what I've had to do my whole life. And what all of us try to do here is we go to the Bible and we go to Jesus and we let them reset our expectations about what life is like and what God is like. And Jesus is telling you, I'm God, I am the son of God, and I'm telling you he's your father, he's your dad, and you should relate to him. That's when you start talking about it. In fact, what I love about this is every single one of us have a built-in reference point for what he's talking about. He says, you want to understand God? Just look at any good dad with their kids that's the kind of relationship God, your father, wants to have with you. Just look at any good, some of you are going like, my dad wasn't that great. Okay, you've seen a good dad before with his kids. And if you haven't, just watch this video. Here's a good dad with oh, his I daughter. I to use the curler. He, he likes, likes the, the tornado style of the vest. First, we're washing it, 
and we're finding out which way it goes. And then we are going to clip it. We're thinking about our family. This is mom, me, and this is daddy. We're making the same thing on that side with animals. Mommy, dad. Well, first, it makes her happy. B, I always want to look wonderful in front of her, at least wonderful to her. And C, it feels great. I don't know if your view of God includes a uh, God who would allow a little girl to do his hair, but that's what Jesus invites us to think about. And you say, well, God, and, and I get this, God the Father doesn't have a body, doesn't have hair, but Jesus had hair. Can you not picture Jesus letting a little girl do his hair? I can. And what Jesus is trying to say is, you know what God your father is like. Just look at any dad with his daughter, with his son, doing a good job, nailing it. It's just, that's the kind of relationship he has. He's humble, he's approachable, he's there for you to help you. And I know there's maybe something in you that is afraid to think that maybe God is actually like that. Let the Bible, let Jesus tell you the truth about reality. Whatever else you've thought about God, it needs to include that. He's a dad, he cares about you. He's humble, he's approachable, he's listening. You are not talking to yourself when you pray. You are not appealing to the universe at large. There's not some impersonal force that kind of just balances out, hopefully. You're talking to a real person. You're talking to a real God. You're talking to Father. And I love what the Bible says in later, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says, because of Christ, because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. You wouldn't have wanted to do that without Jesus, but because of Jesus, it completely changes everything, and you can do that. And another place in the Bible, in Hebrews 10, 19, it says, so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Him dying on the cross literally changed everything about our religion. We went from enemies of God to potentially becoming friends with God, and that's all through Jesus. You, have, you ever notice this? Do kids have any problem at all asking for what they want? At least my kid, absolutely no shame. They will ask for anything they want. When you're a parent, your name becomes, can I have? Dad, can I have? Mom, can I have? I kind of miss that, that day, because my girls have gotten older, and they've learned to filter and be adults now. But I remember when, when your kids are little, if you've got kids, when a closed door just means that they have to open the door before they bother you. You go to the bathroom to hide, and they, they, they find you there. And God is like, like here, bother me. I, you don't have to be fearful when you come before me in prayer, you can come boldly into my presence. You don't have to allow shame to convince you that you don't belong there. You don't have to allow guilt to block you from starting the conversation. You don't have to do what really religious people do when they pray. You don't have to somehow work up the courage to start talking to him. You just start the conversation with your dad. Remember, when you pray that he's your dad. And then Jesus continues. He says, remember this about your father. He said this, so you pray, Father, may your name be kept holy. You need to remember that your, your Father God is holy, that he's good. Now, why do we ask in a prayer? Why does Jesus tell us to ask, may your name be kept holy? Does God need to be reminded that he needs to keep his name holy and hallowed? 
I don't think this is for God when we pray it. Sometimes when we pray things, it's really to remind ourselves of who it is we're talking to and what he's like. And this is one of those situations. When you pray, God, may your name be kept holy, you're reminding yourself that not only is he a father, but that he's good and that you can count on him and he's consistent. We also want other people to know the truth about God when we talk about the relationship we have with God. It's not good for anybody to believe things that are not true about God. It's not good for you. It's not good for anyone. And so part of the process of being a Christian is we have to spend our whole life unlearning false beliefs that we've held about God and about reality for so long. And this is one of them in so many areas. So many people just have inaccurate information about God. There are a lot of people, and I'm just taking the whole world in general right now, a lot of people think that God is a blending, whatever form God takes in their mind, of good and evil, that he's like this balance of light and darkness, or that somehow he's just an impersonal force. And the Bible would say, that's not true at all. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And God is good, and there is absolutely no evil in him at all. You don't ever have to worry about waking up one day and suddenly God has decided to lie. Like, this will be fun. You don't ever have to worry about waking up and God's decided he likes to bully people and mess with you and, you know, sometimes just smite people just because it looks like it could be fun that day. God's character and nature will never change. You can always count on him to be holy, so you pray that way. And this is important. How could you ever trust God if you knew that he could change at some point? There's some great verses in the Bible that talk about this, and this is, if you're like saying, I don't know how to pray beyond just saying exactly what Jesus said, if you were to go to the Old Testament in your Bible, there's something called Psalms. It's a collection of old songs that were written to and about God, and it's like the songbook of the Bible. And for example, Psalm 25.8, this would be a good one for you to pray as part of your prayer. The Lord is good, and he does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. Check this one out. You can look this one up later. Psalm 86, 5. Oh, Lord, you're good. You're so ready to forgive. You are so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Go ahead and go back over to Luke chapter 11. So Jesus told them, here's how you should pray. Then he did some teaching. If you go down to verse 11, Jesus looks at the guys who are there, his, his followers, says, hey, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, will you give them a snake instead? That's awful. You can't even imagine somebody doing that. Jesus is like asking, would you do that? Of course not. Or if, if they ask for an egg, you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, and I think Jesus has a smile on his face when he said this. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're, let's just be honest. We're kind of messed up, right? On our best days, we're not great. But we manage to, to do well by our kids, and if we don't, we can get some help with that. Jesus says, like, you guys are a mess, and you know pretty much how to take care of your kids. How much more will your perfect heavenly father take care of you? Because he's holy. And here's something else that Jesus points out. Just go ahead and write this down, too. When you're praying to your holy father, you need to remember that he's a king. Jesus said, you know, may your name be kept holy, and may your kingdom come soon. God is a king. Jesus is the king of kings. And uh, God has a kingdom, it's called the kingdom of heaven. It's a really good place. Everybody wants to end up there, right? And what makes heaven so great? I'll tell you, if you've never thought about this before, if you ever thought like, okay, so heaven's awesome, but why do we have to die to go there? Why couldn't God have made this place good, the good place? Well, he did. You go back to the beginning of the Bible and you understand when God created the heavens and the earth, he made it perfect. It wasn't broken. We broke it. 
And the reason that things are not good here and the reason it's not like heaven here is because right now, the area that we live in and all of human history has gone through, it's not part of God's kingdom. We're not under his authority. In heaven, everything works the way God wants it to work. That's what makes it the kingdom. The king's will is observed and obeyed and respected. On earth, people do whatever they want, and that's what gets us into trouble. And so that's why Jesus says, you pray to your king, God, let your kingdom come here, too, because we like the way things work in your kingdom of heaven, and we want that here. Uh, one example of this, uh, cemeteries. I, I love this. I, I know it doesn't make me macabre. I just like history, but I love to find old cemeteries. Do anybody else do that? Like, we have some amazing cemeteries here in St. Charles County. There are some cemeteries. You have to bushwhack. You have to know where to find them. They're in the middle of the woods, like at the August Day Bush Conservation Area, Weldon Springs Conservation Area. There are gravestones there that go back to the first settlers of our county. Gravestones that start with 1,700-something. It's just amazing to find some of those. One of the hard things for me, though, is when I go out to some of these old cemeteries and I find a gravestone like this one where the birth date and the death date are within just maybe a year or two of each other or even just a few months. That's hard because, you know, it happened a couple hundred years ago, but you're still like, man, that family. To have a baby and then lose it? And, and sometimes I think about that, and I think, what if I could go back in time and talk to people from the 1700s and the 1800s in St. Charles County and go, look, I, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. But they would just say, well, this is just normal. It's just normal in 1718 for children to die. We just expect it. We have a lot of them. If I could go to 1818, people would say it's just normal for children to die. In 1918, it's just normal for kids to get the flu and die. And I would like to say to them, no. Normal is simply how things currently are, but that's not how things are supposed to be. If you could come to where I am in 2018, kids don't die. I mean, it is so exceptional for a little one to die that we take note of that. It's not normal where I come from. And Jesus says, there's a place that I come from where none of this stuff is normal. And you should pray for that to come here. And so we pray, Father, you're a king. And we know that Jesus is the king of kings and every single authority who's ever been on this earth submits to Jesus and will submit to Jesus and we ought to pray for him to come back and make things right on the earth. Right now there is a colossal struggle going on between light and darkness, but light always defeats darkness. You go into a dark room and you don't go, what am I gonna do with all this darkness? You just flip on the light switch. And Jesus is going to win. He's already won. That's what he did through the cross. We sang about that. And he's going to prevail. But right now, we're in the in-between time. We're in the last chapter, but it's still going on. But you, you should be praying for that because you know this, and I know this. There's something in your heart that cries out for justice. Every time you see an injustice, you go, this is not how it's supposed to be. There's something in you that wants peace. There's something in you that wants kids to go to bed full, not hungry. There's something within you that doesn't want little ones to die or old people to die. There's something in you know that just knows this is not how things are supposed to be. And there's something in you that hopes that this is not how things always will be. And I'm here, like, I love what I get to do. We get all the good stuff. I don't know why everybody's not on Team Jesus, because you get the best words, like goodness and nobility and honor and respect and dignity and justice and righteousness and peace. And we get all the best outcomes. Like, there is nothing that even comes close to what Jesus offers. Am I right? Or am I just talking to myself here? Come on. That's right. Listen, this is why I'm telling you, you should pray. You're not overcoming God's reluctance when you pray. It's like, okay, if I bother God enough, he will get off the couch and he'll do. You are talking to your holy, righteous, good, heavenly father who wants 
to do what's right for everyone. You just have to ask him. Just have to ask him for help. Max Lucado, when he was 15 years old, he said he inherited a Rambler from his big brother. What a car. Look at that. When he got it, his dad said, Max, you know, because every 15-year-old is so responsible, you've got to keep gas in the car. You've got to take care of it. I know, I know, Dad. You've got to wash it. I know. You've got to change the oil. I've got it, Dad. So you can change the oil, right, Max? Of course I can, Max lied. He said, I should have asked for help. Actually, I didn't. Max Lucado says, I don't know the difference between a manifold and a windshield wiper, which is odd because his dad was a mechanic. He worked on oil field engines. So his dad would always try to tell him how to fix stuff, and it just never stuck. He said, my mind was like Teflon. He'd tell me all this mechanical stuff, and I just couldn't do it. He said his ineptness, his ineptitude, surfaced the next weekend when he decided to change the oil in his Rambler. And his dad said, hey, you want some help with that? His dad, the mechanic, no, I got it. He should have asked for help. So he got the car in the garage, started looking for the oil pan. That took an hour. Then he found the tools and everything, finally figured out how to get the drain plug out, drained the oiled oil, put five quarts of new oil in it. It was a you know, horrible ordeal, but he got it done. Walked out of the garage, and his dad said, got it done, Max? Yep. Everything okay? Yes, sir. So what's that? Max turned around. And there was a stream of oil coming out of the garage and down the driveway. He forgot to put the drain plug back in. And all five quarts of new oil had poured out. His dad said, Max, we need to talk. Come here. He took him over to his oil field truck and opened one of the toolboxes on the side. And he just said, this is a tool that I use to take valves out. This is a tool that I use to put a filter in. This is a tool that I use to tighten hoses. And he just like, Max, it felt like an hour of show and tell. And finally, at the end of it, Max's dad looked him straight in the eye and said, Max, I fix things for a living. It's my job. What's hard for you is simple for me. I'm a mechanic. I don't know a whole lot about a lot of things, but I do know this. And I want to help you because I'm a mechanic and I'm your dad. You know what? A lot of our biggest challenges are a simple oil change to God. You know what else? As Max Lucado says, we're pretty good at making messes. But our Father doesn't judge us, and he doesn't say, when you get it figured out, come find me. He simply says, I'm here for you. Would you just reach out to me for help? I'm your dad. So what do we do with this? Can I suggest something? This is like the takeaway every week. You're just gonna hear this every week for like five weeks. You need to devote yourself to prayer. And some of you are looking at me going, I do pray. Well, it's good. A lot of you are looking at me going, I don't pray. I don't remember the last time I prayed. Some of you have been on the prayer roller coaster. You pray really good and then you don't and then you feel guilty and then you pray again and then you don't. I don't care where you are on this. Today is a new day. Let's just all commit today we're going to start praying. We're going to start this conversation with our Heavenly Father. 
my thing is, like, the lesson's not taught till the life has changed. Until you start praying, I gotta keep talking about this. And it doesn't have to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. You don't have to have the right words in the right order. Jesus would say, just go ahead and use the prayer I taught you until you figure out more things to say. Just use it kind of as a template or example. You don't have to say it exactly and then you're done because that's kind of autopilot. Have a real conversation. Talk about what you need. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for help. Give God some honor. Remind yourself of who it is that you're talking to and say amen. Just pray. Here's a few things I would also tell you. If you're really new to prayer, just find a place and find a time. This is really helpful. And a lot of people who are good at praying would tell you that. Just find a time that every day, this is my prayer time. I wake up in the morning, before I get up, I pray. Or I get up and I go get coffee so that I'm awake enough to have the conversation and then I sit at the table or on the deck and I pray. Some people say, well, at work, I just shut the office door for 10 or 15 minutes and I pray. Or I read my Bible and I pray and then that's it. A lot of people like to pray in their car. And I don't mean the, oh, Jesus, get out of my, not that, an actual shut the car off, getting ready to go into work or getting ready to go hiking, which is another thing I like to pray when I'm hiking or riding my bike, just clears my mind. And, uh, but you find what works for you. Find the place, find the time, make it consistent, make it every day, and pretty soon you'll find yourself praying and talking to God. Another thing I would suggest, a couple of those verses that we pulled out of Psalms, why don't you memorize those? They're not long, they're not hard. Let some true things about God be rattling around in your brain. Just reach out to him. I'm going to talk to God for all of us here in a second, but I just want to say one more thing. Um, there's this kind of uh, this conception that a lot of people have, like we're all children of God, which is true in a sense because God created every human being who's ever lived on the planet, our first parents, Adam and Eve. But to truly be in God's family, you have to make a decision. God doesn't just go grab people and make them be part of his family. It's a choice that you make. And the choice starts with looking to Jesus to say, I will submit my entire life to you, Jesus, that you can be the Lord of my life and lead me, and I will take my cue from you. I will submit to you. I'll be baptized in water, immersed just like you said to be, and I will accept your forgiveness. You can be my Lord and my Savior. It's a choice you make. And in that moment, you are adopted into God's family. And if you would like to do that, that we literally exist to help people get connected to God. So after services today, we'd love to talk with you more about what that means, if that's a step that you're ready to take.